If I could only use one word to explain my guest this week, it's evolution. Matt Hrannick and Yolanda Edwards worked tirelessly in their careers to get to where they were, and then they had to start all over again. This is a podcast about determination, maybe a hair of luck, and a ton of hustle. And wow, this is something I think we all need a lot right now. Matt Rennick and Yolanda Edwards are the husband and wife team of the W.M. Brown Project and YOLO Journal. Matt and Yolanda share how to launch a successful print magazine by building a community, and how they paid for their first issue with insurance money from a total car, and why they love telling stories together. Yolanda and Matt. Yolanda Edwards and Matt Rennick, but you are two... You are, you are like a unit. You're intertwined. You're married. You're a- we've been married. Hi, Jeremy, by the way. It's great to be on Blamo. No, yeah, it's fine. Uh, we've been married 22 years. Seems like yesterday. <laughs> 22 years? That's, congratulations. That's really cool. Yeah. Same woman for 22 years. There you go. Are you sure? And 22 <laughs> more. Trust me, I'm very sure. I'm very, very sure about that. That's, yeah, and both of you represent... YOLO Journal, W.M. Brown, and, you know, Matt, you were on uh, in the past. You want to, this is your first time on, but Matt, you were on and you were, you know, working with your wife at Conan Ass Traveler. Yeah. And there was this era and that era is totally, there's a whole new era that is, that has been, you know, birthed from this entire thing. And, you know, publicly, and I've heard you and privately too, you've talked about how you're happier than ever. So if you wouldn't mind, both of you, just kind of catching me up on, on what happened since we last talked. Because the last time we talked, you were doing A Man and His Watch, and then you were also doing stuff for Conan Ass Traveler, where your wife was currently at. So I guess Man and a Watch was three years ago now? It was a while ago. I mean, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's been like I think over it was, 100 episodes. I think it was 2017 <laughs> or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I was working at Conan Ass Traveler under Pilar Guzman and Yolanda... Um, as the kind of men's editor. Okay. And that was covering, quote-unquote, luxury, a lot of the watch market, um, cars when I could. Um, And we sort of had the best situation because as Yolanda's the creative director, me as this kind of content creator, Mm -hmm. but also having this this background in history as a photographer, we would kind of just like hit the road together and do all these amazing stories that actually the, eco- the economy of those things were very rare at the time. They couldn't, they were sort of this, this moment where they couldn't afford to do those kind of big travel stories anymore, or the budgets were really low or, um, there were less editors too. So we, so basically, you know, it used to be that you would never have been able to just as a creative director and as an editor kind of say like, Hey, we're going to go off for like, three weeks and come back with like eight stories. Right. It would be, um, no, that will never happen. Like the editors would say, no way. Like we, we have a whole lineup and, and forget it. Like maybe you can get one story every couple of issues, but certainly not. But, but because of the economics, like Mm -hmm. we couldn't afford to have all of those editors on staff anymore. So everything was imploding. And so it was a great time for us because we were able to like 
take all the relationships and find ways to do really scrappy stories. Um, A lot of the time on our own kind of travel schedule. Right. You know, and Clara in tow, our daughter, and... Which I think is really cool, by the way. We'll talk yeah. about that later. Um, you know, we, she's been, you know, an editor in training since birth. But, That's so, uh, cool. <laughs> so we, you know, for me, it was really exciting because I had kind of really curbed down taking commercial photographic assignments. Mm-hmm. But of course, I'm still passionate about it. I still was passionate about it. So to be able to work with Yolanda and build these stories together organically and then photograph them and be like... I, I know there's a cover here and, you know, we were big fans of uh, a lot of the brands that at that point that were still supporting the magazine, Cartier being one of them. Mm-hmm. And so we would ring them up and say like, hey, we're going to be away for two weeks, three weeks. Could we take some Cartier stuff to shoot on location? And Yolanda would like wear it all, you know, oh. like, and, yeah, and we, you don't want to deal with customs. And stuff yeah. Like so yeah. we... And, you know, maybe we would bring some luggage from Louis Vuitton or Gucci or, and we would just shoot everything on location, which was great and fun. And then we would come back with all these stories and then they kind of just would pay me as a freelancer photographer, kind of a la carte. Right. So that was such a fun exploration. And, you know, what you want to do anyway is you, you want to create the story, build the story, and then shoot the story. Mm-hmm. And that was a real, that was fun. That was, but it was short lived. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say short lived, like Yolanda, what, did you know when things were kind of winding down? Cause it sounded like you were, you were starting to see a bit of the future in the crystal ball in terms of having less budget. And mm-hmm. I, I think I've been saying it's the, the end days <clears throat> for about 15 years. Yolanda's, <laughs> she's very chicken little. The so, sky is falling. The yeah. sky is falling. <laughs> no, but but really I I think that definitely like I had been at Condé Nast Traveler in the nineties. Okay. When I first met Matt, I got a job as a freelancer, like I was a fill in for a photo editor. So that was really like my first introduction to the formal kind of travel magazine. Right. Um, thing and then also to being a photo editor, so um, I had been there and it was really glory days. It was the days of like ordering in um, lunch that was like twenty dollars from Manja, and then <laughs> oh, like nice. and of course expensing everything, and then like staying at work until seven thirty because that meant you could also order dinner and get it free and blah blah blah. And you car know? services if you stayed late. Yeah, and all right. That and they framed all of our photos. Remember oh that? yeah, we had this amazing collection of uh, of photography that I was collecting, and I, we mentioned it to somebody in production, and they they're like, "Oh, just bring them in. We'll send them to AI Friedman and get them all framed for you." And we were like, "Oh, that's cool." Wow. It was there was a lot of that. It was all kind of like onboard swag, right? You right. know, and I mean, I kind of grew up with that working for photographers as an assistant and working with Condé Nast photographers, you know, really in the glory days when I moved to New York in the early nineties, you know, I was a young assistant and working with these kind of incredible pedigree photographers. And that's all I ever wanted to be around was magazines. Like that's, I cared so much and only about magazine editorial photography. And for, for me, it was an absolute fantasy to be able to go down that path yeah. And then then slowly evolve into m- me as a photographer on my own. Right. And so Yolanda, Condé Nast Traveler, 
you you what happened when they told you like did they surprise you so no so i mean really what started basically we were there um Pilar and I went there in 2013. We'd been okay. at Martha before that, and um, Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart, yeah, yep. and and um, launched Cookie Magazine prior to that, right? Which so, got folded, right? So we've we'd already been through a magazine um, closing at Condé Nast, right? And that was in 2009, and it seemed like we'd never work again, and it was horrible. We did work again, but um, but it was it was really dark days. So then when we went back to Traveler, um, it was a new editorial director. It was Anna Wintour. Mm -hmm. And she was really like, I want you guys to make this sort of a sexy travel magazine. It had gotten really political and it was kind of, it just wasn't, it wasn't really paying attention to like that there was actually digital and there were ways to get your information in a very daily way. So we kind of made it more of a keepsake and that was sort of our direction was make, make it really beautiful, timeless. And, um, and then at probably three years in, they collapsed all of the creative teams and um, made us work on two magazines and they moved us away from our, from actually working on the floor with our magazine. So, so it's a super disruptive thing for everybody. Um, people still, I saw people last night at an event um, who still work at Condé and they're like, we, we still can't believe like how, how horrible it was that they took our creative teams and put them on another floor thinking that they could turn them into a sort of an ad agency kind of model. Ah, the whole integrated marketing. Yeah, exactly. And to just give you a background of like what a Mecca Condé was for talent, right? When, they collected the best talent, the best writers, the best illustrators, the best art directors, the best photographers in the world. Right. And once you got to that level, you dug your heels in. You weren't going anywhere. You've reached the apex of what was available in terms of editorial. So to watch all that dismantle and watch all that talent kind of fray away, it was kind of getting sad. Yeah, it was, it was sad. So, but basically what I did is I told everybody on my team, like, take every trip you can possibly take. I don't care about how many days you're out of the office. Like, just get your work done from wherever you are and just enjoy everything because it's, I can feel it. It's really going down. Oh God. And that was sort of like a year before it really did go down. So a lot of my team got to go to places like the Maldives and like crazy. It was great. It was great fun though. And then, um, meanwhile, I was so anxious. Like Yolanda made me, I'm not really an anxious person, but during that whole period, I had so much anxiety because Yolanda would just come home and be like, it's all going away. It's all gone. It's, it's never going to, we're never, we're never going back. (laughs) And And Matt would be like, my arm is tingling. (laughs) I think I'm having a stroke. I started having panic attacks. I was like, that's not me. I don't have panic attacks. Well, I mean, I would be like that too, because also, you know, both of you are, you know, were very, and still are, you know, really established in what you were doing in your career and what you were saying earlier about, you know, these people at, at Condon S, like you, you climb this ladder and like, this is it. Like you, you, in a way, like you can't ever go any you can't ever get any better you can't ever yeah, go any higher. there was nothing else better right and that's that's the part too about the the major anxiety was well it's not like i can leave conde and i can hop over to x it's like what um 
move to Apple. Like Apple wasn't calling me. So, so it was like, that's where some people were going, but I was like, I don't know, I guess I'm, they're not into me or, and I didn't also want to move to California. That wasn't sort of a part of our, our world. So it was like, well, when this goes away, we have to figure it out, but it's not a way yet, but it will be. So what do we do? And like, oh that, yeah, that, that's a like, weird purgatory. Yeah. yeah. And, it was crazy. And, you know, I had always been a freelancer and never really had a real job. Like I, you know, I always say that I was fired every single day, <laughs> you know, like I lost my job every day. God, yeah. So I can kind of was a bit resilient to that idea and was always kind of thinking in the back of our heads, okay, like what's next, what we should do. And I had enough like kind of projects on the on the periphery, mm-hmm. like particularly with books, that I was, you know, staying creatively active, active and enthusiastic about what else was out there. Right. But there was also a lot of anxiety of like, what are we? What really are we going to do next? Like, what's the big plan? Not just the, you know, what's the next big plan A? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then the day comes. Yeah, the day comes. We're basically away in um, <laughs> in Greece. I've said to my team, I'm going to go to Greece. Nice. And um, it's my big, big 5-0 birthday. And um, I'm, I'm going to be gone for a month. I'm basically going to take a sort of sabbatical and just treat myself. I was like very, I had a really heavy summer the year before. So I had to do a, a launch of another magazine and it was crazy. So I was like, I, I deserve this. Okay. And about eight days into it, I get a text from Pilar and it's like three in the morning, New York time. And she's like, can we talk tomorrow? And I was like, oh God. Let's talk right now. Oh, wow. It was horrible. So Clara and I were at the breakfast table. And I remember the light, the vision, like this beautiful morning light was coming through this great little hotel. And you see the sea in the background. And Yolanda was kind of backlit on her cell phone. (laughs) And I could just see the face just drop. And I went, that's the phone call. Oh, shoot. And it was the phone call. And, you know, I have to say, I know how upset it was for Yolanda. Like, this was a dream job. This is something when I first met her, she talked about. Like, it was so crazy. When Yolanda moved into the apartment, when she moved in with me, Yeah, um, there was all these boxes. And I was like, what are these boxes? And she's like, oh, those are my travel stories. And I was like, what's a travel story? <laughs> you know, like, she was obsessed. And it was like such a perfect, perfect balance of like, her being able to exploit like her deeply creative side as well as her editorial storytelling. So to watch that go away was sad. But I went up to her and I said, you know what, Yolanda, congratulations. Because it's a, it was a bit of the golden handcuffs, you know? Yeah. And I said, now we could do whatever we want. Like, great. We kind of sucked off that teat yeah. for a long time. It was fun, but now it's time to move on. And I think you know, congratulations. Yeah. So then, you know, and the, and WM Brown had kind of, what had it already sort of launched at the time? No. So, I mean, the William Brown project was a blog, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then that blog sort of became an Instagram account. That and, was- and just to go back to that for a second, the William Brown project blog started when cookie folded. So and what, what Cookie, year is that? that was 2009. 2000. Okay. So Cookie folded. Perfect time and, for blogs. And Matt had also been 
a big contributor at Cookie. And so that was another one of those things like sucking off the teat yeah. of Condé Nast yet again or back then. And, yeah. and it was like, oh my God, now this whole revenue stream is drying up. And not just revenue, it's creativity. It's like, we love doing these stories for Cookie. It was like... We had great outlets. It, it was yeah. really great. And so he was like, I'm kind of doing all this catalog stuff and all these clients. This client work is like making me crazy. I don't feel creative. Um, and I said, you know what? You're always talking about about the country life when you're in the city. And then when you're in the country, you're talking to those people up there about your city life and, and what you're doing when you're traveling. Like you have this really great combination of city and country. And why don't you, why don't you just like start doing something with that? Why don't you just start a blog? And it was like called what? I'm like, well, not your name. Yeah, so. because I had a, I, that's right. Because I still had a photo career, right? So there yeah. was a digital presence of a website that was like Matthew Horanic Photography represented by blah, blah, blah. So we needed to kind of remove ourselves from that and actually create something new for us. Right, right. And we live on William Brown Road, which is part of an old like 19th or turn of the century, turn of the last century dairy farm. And we bought a piece of property that was a part of that at one point. And it's on William Brown Road. So I was like, the William Brown Project? We kind of hashed that back and forth. And we're like, yeah, cool. And then it kind of created this other persona. Like, I could be William Brown, right? Yeah. And I actually was so self-conscious about appropriating that name that I went to kind of the patriarch of the hill, like Walter Sippel, who's lived there since the beginning of time and knew William Brown Farm and one, at one level. And I said, you know, well, I wanted to, I'm working on this project and I, I want to take William Brown name and incorporate it in what I'm doing. And he looked at me and he goes, I think old Bill Brown would be proud. <laughs> and I was like, I almost burst into tears. I gave him a big hug and I was like, okay, I feel very confident that I'm not. Because we were talking about those worlds in parallel and I didn't want to be condescending to that. I wanted the blessing. Yeah. yeah. So that's where, the, that's where the name came from. Okay. And what's funny is that, I mean, it's called William Brown Farm. Yeah. But the street, if you turn up our street, it actually is W.M. Brown. So it's like, it's sort of perfect how... It was perfect the yeah. way that... And also, like, naming anything is, you know... And it was Yolanda's idea. Like, she was the one that was like, listen, we already have this audience in this dialogue. If we're going to do this men's magazine, like, why are we worrying about a title? Let's just call it William Brown. I was like, well, let's just call it W.M. Brown. It's nicer on the cover. Yeah. And, and that's basically how it happened. You know, I had been looking for this men's magazine my entire career in magazines. There were four magazines that created this one magazine for me. You know, like, so I was buying Bon App and Gourmet for the food. Mm-hmm. I was looking at GQ at the time for style. Yeah. But like, where was all of that under one umbrella? Right. And I was working on a book project, a proposal. And they want, some publisher wanted me to do a men's style book, like The World Does Not Need Another Men's Style Book. Um, David Coggins has got that lockdown. Um, but I, and also I'm kind of lazy, right? Like I knew I was like, oh, it's going to be so much work. Why don't we just make it a picture book? So I did this proposal, which was kind of a working title, a man for all seasons. Cause I felt, you know, guys dress differently, eat differently, drive different cars, wear different scents based on 
the season mm-hmm. and we built this visual deck. Well, the publisher had didn't understand it at all. Like there was like, where's the how to tie a bow tie? And it's like, okay, no, oh Adam Plusser did that one. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came back saying, this is going to go nowhere. And Yolanda looked at it and she's like, that's your magazine. And I was like, mm, you're smart. That's it. You're right. That is it. And when we got the news that it was ending, I said, okay, Yolanda, now we got to build this thing. Right. And I was like, well, we are already going to be in Italy and Gerardo is really handsome and has great style. So why don't we just go and shoot him and his, you know, Land Rover in the Abruzzo. And then that became the cover. Yeah. And I had just, you know, had a Leica in a bag, one lens, and we spent the day together and it just was magic. And it was so exciting to be like, making imagery again. Like I lost my way. Like I went to the iPhone, like I didn't pull out the Leicas anymore. Right. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my, cause I knew this was for me and I could produce it and do whatever I want. And Gerardo was, we're in the uh, Abruzzo countryside. It's like magical. And, and I remember Shudi going like, this, this is why I fell in love with image making photography. Right. Was because of this feeling I'm feeling right now. And I don't want that to end. And I had lost my way working with commercial clients and being seduced by the money and thinking about my family and how are we going to do all this stuff and just, gra- you know, kind of land grabbing all these commercial assignments, which is soul sucking. Right. You know? So uh, you get that phone call and you literally start work on your project within that same trip like mm-hmm. yes. it didn't even yeah. no. knock you that that's really interesting because I, I think for a lot of people when that happens there's a bit of you know and saying this from when my wife lost her job and you know I've you know lost tons of jobs obviously and there's usually a time where I don't know like I kind of had to <laughs> sulk or I kind of just had to be alone with my thoughts and it <laughs> sounds like both of you you know spur the other person onward and you just start working on the next thing. We don't want to be alone with our thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I also think too that like I was, I don't know, I have a very weird survivor instinct. I'm sure like there's a lot of like deep, dark things around that, but there definitely is. Yeah. Okay. But I definitely like, there was a part of me that was so shamed. Like there's something so shameful for me about losing your job. It's just like, Oh my God, people are going to think, yeah, Yeah. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. And so I was like, I can't have one minute of not having something else that I'm moving into doing. Like, because then like, then I, I I feel like if I even had a day of not knowing what what I was going to like at least having a story to tell, mm-hmm. then I I would just fall apart. So it was like quickly survivor like move into the next phase because otherwise it's going to be bad. And so we really and, and we are kind of already had this in our head, and so this yeah. just was the thing. So we really started. Um, you know, just talking to a lot of people. But I would say because we were really at the tail end of the glory days, we have met so many amazing contributors. I mean, I sat in the seat where people came and talked to me all day long about story ideas, photographers, editors, and, you know, you just meet. So you had the Rolodex. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You meet all these people. And they were friends. Yeah. Yeah. And, And like all these people are seeing their outlets dry up. Right. And, and people, 
still really love print and wanted to stay around and they want to see it done beautifully. So we sort of capitalized on that, like, all right. We called in every Yeah, every favor. favor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then some. And, you know, so, and then we had to figure out, okay, we have all this content now. How are we going to get this thing made? How are we going to print this thing? Um, Yolanda and I, off, you know, we say we know how to make magazines, but how do you kind of... Like get it printed and distribute it and yeah, all that other stuff. Yeah, physically produce the magazine. Yeah. So something very funny happened. Like at one point I was thinking, okay, we're going to need X amount of dollars to get this done. And I was kind of scrambling like, okay, maybe I'm going to sell a watch or Been two there. watches, right? Been like, there. That was my initial <laughs> instinct. This is disposable stuff. Yep. This I always bought it thinking that it's going to get me through some you know, war zone border. Sure. Right. Or, yeah. or, or do something else with the money. So we have a, we had a Land Rover LR4 that I owned. Mm-hmm. And one night in the middle of the night, a London Plains tree right in front of our house in Brooklyn cracked at the top because it was dead and fell down the center of my Land Rover. The only car on the block. Oh, I remember that. Totaled it. The insurance cut company cut me a check for the entire value of the car. And I kind of gasped when I saw the number. And I called my accountant. And I said, what am I supposed to do with this money? He's like, Matt, that's the equity you've paid into the car. Like, I bought it on the business. It was in the bank. You know? Yeah, yeah. He goes, you put it in your bank account. And I looked at Londa and I was like, now we're going to make a magazine. Now we're going to print a magazine. Now we're, we don't have the anxiety of knowing how do we rob Peter to pay Paul. I was yeah. like, boom, blessing, done. And that's how we paid for the first printing was the, the total Land Rover. And of course, I got another one because I love that car. But, <laughs> um, but you know, again, like there's a lot of this lemons uh, to lemonade kind of idea. I mean, I think I'm deeply optimistic and feel that, you know, we have this saying, I wrote it on a little post-it note and put it by Yolanda's um, dresser nightstand. It says like, things always work out. Like, I, I really believe that. I know it's a little corny and maybe there's like a picture with a kitten hanging from a branch on yeah, that hang poster, in there. hanging there, baby. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I think that we're both, I think, deeply optimistic and, and feel that we can, we're confident with our, what we can do and the people we surround ourselves with. So we want to just get it done. Do you think that YOLO Journal or WM Brown would have happened without the other person? Uh, no, not for me. I couldn't no. do it without her. Mm-mm. Yeah. Because I think that's that's what's really beautiful throughout this entire thing is, you know, it, it there very much is is a team effort behind both things. I mean, because you you not only launch one magazine which was w- very widely received and everyone loved, but then you launch another one, so double the work, same amount of people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we have really great. Um, Art directors. Okay. Yeah. Um, Matt has a great art director. He used to work with me at Traveler, and he works full time um, at Condé Nast. And then, which um, is very funny. Yeah. yeah. And then I have another um, full time Condé Nast um, art director who works for me in a very part time way. Yeah. So, and they both work for the same magazine, which is funny. I just sort of love that. Yeah. Um, and then this year, this most recent issue, we brought in another con, I mean, it's sort of like the old crew and we bring them in in piecemeal ways and have them help us out. Copy editing, 
Matt finally got a copy editor. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of, the first issue, there's a lot of typos and there's a lot of wrong steps there. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. But yeah. I didn't care about the words, honestly. I'm just sort of like, look at the pictures. You know? There have been a lot of guests on the pod over the years, but a common thread is a love and admiration for Ralph Lauren. I have always loved Polo, and Polo continues to be the brand I'll never tear myself away from and always wear a piece from. I mean, it's Ralph. And now Ralph has an app, and it's on your smartphone. The Polo app. The Polo app is the go-to destination for exclusives and limited editions, plus early access to the most coveted pieces from every men's collection. Those incredible cardigans? That amazing fun shirt? I found them on the Polo app. It's the best place for men's polo in the palm of your hand, featuring an edit of the most important pieces of the season, plus the icons that never go out of style. There's even features from fellow guests of the podcast, Mordecai Rubenstein on his love for vintage Ralph, and Yolanda Edwards herself. It's more than a place to shop polo. So download the Polo app on the iOS App Store and Google Play. Looking for that link? Just click it in the show notes and let me know what you get. Download the Polo app on the iOS App Store and Google Play. Available in the US or UK. Yeah. But Yolanda's right. Like Yolanda is a great quote managing editor on these things and she keeps the schedules on track and, you know, I'm definitely wider eyed and more romantic about like the whole process and Mm -hmm. Yolanda's pragmatic with purpose. And I think I could not do what I'm doing without that. I'm like a crazy weirdo Virgo. So I like I I like to have spreadsheets. I like to like so check organized. things off lists. Yeah, I have a million pieces of paper with like everything. You can see them all over here. Yeah. Um but really like I think that that you know because maybe it's in a way because of Traveler being a magazine where you had to shoot things in season and so far ahead. I I had to learn how to like visualize what some issues would look like so far in advance. And I would have like entire years shot like a year before beforehand at Traveler. At Traveler. Really? So so that but we assigned everything. It was so rare that we would actually like take somebody's story that came in that was already photographed and we would never consider taking a photographer who had shot something for themselves and interviewing them and saying, this place is so special to you. I can see it. It's magical in these images. Like, tell me, tell me why you liked that place. So for me, that was sort of the, the, the impetus for Yola was I knew I wanted there to be a beautiful travel magazine. I know we can get all of our travel intel from many, many sources from our Instagram, from digital, from all these places. But where's the beauty? Where's the stuff that like pulls us in anymore in print? Like Instagram is great. And it gives you this like, Oh yeah, I want to be there. But it's on this small screen. And it's like, you might bookmark it and might trigger an idea. But, but really, there's something to that, like looking at these double page spreads of places, I was like, people still want that. And unfortunately, the legacy publishers, like, you know, the big travel magazines have to put so much crap in there because of the the way the system is. The advertising forces them to put, you know, 
cruise packages and all this, all this stuff that I know they don't, none of them want to do, but they have to do it. It's a gun to their head. And, right. and then they also have this kind of, they all started when there was no digital. So they have this formatting thing of like, well, we have to say where to eat, where to stay, what to do, what the addresses, the pricing, all this stuff, the URL. I'm like, all these people looking at your magazine have a, fo- a phone right next to them. So my idea was basically I could make a magazine and I think I can do it in an affordable way by becoming the platform for all of these photographers who don't have any place for their images to live. And a lot of those images, and for me as well, were images sitting in these archives of photographers, maybe some that never saw the light of day, mm-hmm. like the, the Adidas archive in the... Uh, two issues ago that was photographed by Henry Lutweiler, who I think is my generation's or one of our generation's like greatest photographers. It was a whole archive of um, Adidas imagery that was for a book project that never was realized. And he was like, these are never going to see the light of day. Here they are. Take what you like. So Henry was so generous and he just like sent me a Dropbox with all this incredible images, you know, like Muhammad Ali's boxing boot, Freddie Mercury's yeah, like wrestle, Adidas wrestling shoe that he wore on Live Aid. You know, they have an, an amazing archive. And I, I just was like, wow, this is so, I'm so lucky. Yeah. You know, and Henry was tickled pink and we worked with him at Traveler and the whole time when, you know, he was watching that all implode, he was like, you guys, whatever you do next, I'm on board with you. And we were so lucky to create relationships and have relationships like that, um, that we couldn't have gotten it done without those kind of relationships. Because that that is the big thing that I think that I have, and a lot of people were just totally surprised and overwhelmed by, I mean, both of the magazines are great, but the you really have created the the sort of like next generation and, and real future of print and the fact that there is a person or people that you can connect with behind the issue mm-hmm. and, and who make it. And I think something that no, you know, you can't buy, you can't learn is the amount of goodwill that people have out there for right. you. Like people want to hang out with Yolanda Edwards and Matt Rennick. Like people care about you. They want to know everything that you're doing and they want to directly support you. In, in what you're doing and, you know, w- with, you know, the magazine and, and all that stuff. And that's something that, I mean, I, I personally feel that way. And I don't think I've ever felt that about a Condé or a Hearst or any magazine. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, we are so personally embedded in this thing. It's so much of our personality. It's so much of, of who we think we are. Yeah. Right. And we have a, you know, a great dialogue. I love Instagram for the DM. Like I, I sit in the morning, I answer them all. I love you. You answer all of them? Every single one of them. You know, sometimes you get requests like, Hey Matt, going to Paris, what's your top 25 restaurants? And I'm like, go to Harry's bar. (laughs) You know, like you just give, you just give one tidbit and be like, Oh my God, thank you so much. You know? So, but I, I think the direct engagement creating community through engagement yeah. and making these things inclusive, not exclusive, is so much more fun, right? We all benefit from the collective success. Like, look at Waco, who I 
adore. Waco right? of the rake. Of the rake. Waco, yeah. Waco of the rake and revolution. Way the rake sells William Brown on their e-com site. And YOLO. And YOLO. He's yeah. selling two magazines on a magazine site. And that is, yeah, I, just, I think, <laughs> this kind of new disruptive philosophy of like, no, we're not exclusive. Like we all benefit from the collective success of this all. You know, if if you're producing this independent print project, that relates back to us and we have the support and um it's it's great. I think there's a new culture of that of publishing that um doesn't feel nasty and exclusive. It feels more like, hey everybody, let's get into the the, the fold and the big hug together. Yeah. You know, we're all in this together. Yeah. And I feel like that also extends to our sort of like, uh, to call it a distribution model is kind of um, uh, a joke. A stretch. A stretch, yes. But, but we basically have the magazines in different stores. And a lot of that comes from people, people like to Instagram the magazines with Matt. Often people will photograph it with, a watch and a Negroni yeah. YOLO. It will be like on location somewhere with like, I don't know, in this a glass like, of rosé. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the beach in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so a lot of stores find it through whatever the Instagram or they, um, I have a friend who has a showroom and she had some YOLOs there um, during a market week um, in Paris. And then all of a sudden I had like 10 stores from around the world who were wanting to carry YOLO. So it was like, all right, now I'm in four stores in Australia, which is really amazing. Yeah. So your vendors are, are so select also that they're a bit of your ambassadors. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like a very nice, it's a very nice relationship we've developed with all these different people. Yeah, because I don't know any any magazine or any publication that that does that sort of thing where it's saying like, no, you don't need to ask me. The people that are selling the magazine, we trust them so much that they will tell you where to eat, and right. we endorse that. Right. And we trust them. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I'm a huge fan of retail, particularly men's retail. Yeah, like I love walking into the Armory, Drake's, Jake's shop, and like discovering stuff that I didn't even know. I needed to search that on the internet, right? right? And a lot. I wanted like-minded retail to be carrying the magazine because I wanted to drive like-minded traffic into that experience and say, hey, listen, yeah, go down to the armory, buy the magazine, then discover something else. Yeah. And I really, I, again, that's- It's like the, the gateway retail drug because it's like, you know, if you're going to pull out 20 bucks to buy the magazine, you've already like, you're already committing to spending. And then it's like, well, I kind of like that pocket square too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there exactly. you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, so just so you know, uh, a friend of mine works for Whiting Kennedy and there's a, there's a connection here. And they were talking about how to successfully launch a new brand. And in their slide deck, the number one story that they talked about, and they tried to break down your entire launch was W.M. Brown and YOLO Journal. No way. No way. Swear to God. That's like so flattering. I got yeah. chills. No, That's I, amazing. I, I swear to God. And he, I, I told him that I was going to talk to you. And he was like, I was like, hey, I'm going to mention that you told me that you use this wow. thing in this, in this slide deck. Because the interesting thing, too, of, of how you launched this, like you, you went on the road. First off, I mean, you were in stores, both of you, you know, mm-hmm. you, you were events, at- events and activation was a big part of the dialogue. Yeah. You, you go on the road and then also 
you were, and I don't know if it was a big grandmaster plan behind this, but you know, all these people want to have their picture taken holding your magazine. I know it's crazy. I think that's so much fun. Like these little weird cultural um, moments that happen. Yeah. Right? And for me, uh, for example, like I love all those old school iconic magazine shops, yeah. you know, that are through Soho and Casa magazines uh, on Hudson. And those guys were such big supporters immediately. They were like, we need a hundred. And then they would call me up and say, we need another hundred. Oh, so I wanted to like pay back. I just wanted to like pay homage. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I would go in and I would say like, oh, Ahmed, will you just hold the magazine? And, you know, he'd be standing there under the fluorescent light. And that's when I started that whole kind of fan thing. Yeah. And then tag those guys so people would drive into uh, Iconic and buy magazines and discover other print and find Ben Clymer's magazine and all that other stuff, right? Buy yeah. Dinky. So, um, you know, I think because there's no cover lines, there's no distracting, like, how to get abs in 10 days kind of stuff, that it just becomes a, just this visual this this book in a weird way right yeah and it's unadulterated so you can make any impression you want on it right so you want to take your watch off and put it there and photograph it's very it's a nice backdrop essentially and um that was a very conscious decision like you know when yolanda was creative director at traveler the amount of time she was like can you believe that cover line that we have to look at over that beautiful picture and i'm like yeah we are never doing that right and it also, these magazines are more evergreen, right? I, fa- I was so irritated when I was at Condé Nast when on the masthead they put, please recycle this magazine. I said, what are you talking about? Don't recycle this magazine. Keep this magazine. Wait, it says that? Yeah. Yes. It's like a little green, like environmental, like please recycle this magazine. So like, like, like throw it away in a recycling bin. Is what exactly. Remember, I mean... I remember growing up, walking into some relative's house, and there just being like piles of Vogue's and GQ's and Vanity Fair's and House and Gardens. Yeah. You know, from years. And Everybody's just, grandpa had the National Geographic yeah. collection. National Geo, everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, I always went for the Borneo one, for obvious reasons, <laughs> as a teenager. Um, right. But, uh, and, you know, we had a rental house not too long ago where there was piles of old GQ's and House and Gardens and stuff like that. It was like a time capsule. It was so amazing. And I just thought it was a shame that they were like, don't do that anymore. Recycle it. It's like, no, don't recycle it. Give it away. Put it on a coffee table. Make a pile, you know? And that's our philosophy with these. Like, you know, don't throw it away. Yeah. I mean, and so <laughs> that's crazy. I'm sorry. It's still kind of sinking in a bit yeah. that, that people would just have that on there. Because, yeah, I mean, for me and my magazines, I was like that with... Well, I mean, I collect tons and tons of magazines, but I had like milk crates of free and easy. Oh, At yeah. one point, I had years and years and years worth of free and easies that was just, I think it was like 50 or 60 pounds of these magazines, because they're heavy magazines anyway. You know, free and easy for me was such an inspiration, just like with the information and yeah. how it was visually approached. And, you know, those, those guys, you know the Japanese are so great at distilling culture and other people's culture. Yeah. And, and seeing it and capturing it and creating this, I just thought they created an amazing archive of stuff. That was a very early inspiration for me. And I think also Instagram, like this magazine became, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Became a dialogue directly with Instagram. 
right? Right. Um, I mean, just just like when you say, could we have done it without each other? No. And we also couldn't have launched these magazines without Instagram. Really? Really. Yeah. It's yeah. the best It's tool. How else would we have amplified? How would anybody have ever found us? Like, we had worked hard to develop our Instagram um, followings. And mm-hmm. then here we had this platform of Instagram to say, like, here we are. We just started a magazine. And then like Matt, Matt put his um, cover up on Instagram. It was like, you know, shit starting, you know, coming from the printer tomorrow. And the next day we woke up and there were like in his personal inbox, like 700 orders, which we, we didn't know what we were doing. We, we were like, what do we do now? So we had to literally <laughs> mail them all out ourselves. Oh, was, yeah. I got mine in, in that USPS flat, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We mailed <laughs> thousands of magazines. I mean, the, the, I'm very intimate with the ladies at the United States Post Office straight down the street. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, Instagram was a great tool to get the messaging out, like all over the world. Right. Which, what, what could, how could you have done that before? Yeah, it, it, you know, and then also the format, you know, visually driven, short form text. I mean, I am a lazy reader. I'm sorry, and I don't want to read all that long form stuff, particularly sure. in a, in the folly of a men's lifestyle magazine. I was like, I'll give you the facts and a very straightforward point of view, and full stop. Five hundred words done. Yeah, yeah, and then. So you both of you make these magazines. They're great magazines. And now the hard part is continuing to make these magazines. And so you're on issue... I'm on issue four. four, And you're on issue three. three. So how's that going? Great. You know, I think it's amazing. We have a very good friend in the legacy publishing world. Okay. Who, after the first issue, was sort of like, how how is this sustainable? Like, how are you going to like keep this going in terms of content. And I was like, um, content is not the problem. Like we wake up in the morning talking about ideas and story ideas in the middle of the night, like 24 seven, that's not our problem. Understanding and changing your language in terms of finding distribution and, and the scrappiness of financing things. That's the stuff that, um, is the most intellectually taxing. Mm -hmm. The, the, the creative the tandem creative process and the, the kind of building of content, that's re- relatively easy for us. Yeah. Um, we've been doing this together, talking about the potential and fantasy of stories and for, since we've known each other. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would say like we, you know, the other great thing about Instagram is that people that, um, that we don't know reach out to us and, or I might see something like there was a guy that um, a photographer on that I somehow came across on Instagram. And I was like, he had this picture of this really old man who was in the, um, in a wetsuit in the sea. Um, And it was like kind of craggy rocks everywhere. And I was like, Matt, look at this guy. He's like a scallop diver and he's so cool looking. We should reach out to this photographer. So we reach out to him and it turns out this guy's like in his eighties and he's scallop dives every single day. And Matt did a story on him in the first issue, but it was like all from that. And then Yolanda and I were looking at this amazing photograph of this great character, right? And Yolanda's like, maybe it should be like, you should meet. And that's your first guy. Like, you should meet this guy. And I was like, oh, my God, I love that idea. And that's how we kind of built sections. Right. And for me, 
it was not going to be age specific, um, social, economic, demographic specific. It was just about who are the coolest, most interesting people and stories that we could kind of pull together that aren't fitting in it. You know, that's the only thing. That's the only hole that they fit in. It's not anything else. It's not that they're 18 to 35 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, it and just think, organically developed that way. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think what's so cool about, um, about this whole process is like, we've been able to do whatever kind of, we, we kind of have so many different types of content um, well, especially in William Brown, like you might be somebody who's like uh, more of a hunter and beer drinker and truck driver, and you can find something that speaks to you in William Brown. And then you might also kind of, because you now trust him in that, then you might say like, you know what, maybe I do want to wear a suit. Um, and it's, so it's sort of like, there's enough of these kind of touch points that I think really can resonate with all different kinds of people, it's not just this sort of like the coasts and, and I, and I really like that. I I think that, um, you know, for me, the the flyover States were always the most interesting, right? Drive to Atlanta, make a hard ride across the country, St. Louis, Kansas city, you know, Denver, you know, like all that Chicago, even like when I was working in magazines, there was, it was just like LA, New York, maybe Miami. That was the sort of, triangle right? yeah and um what we learned with instagram is like you have this whole amazing demographic in this case for me men out there that are like-minded smart have some money want direction want to be given confidence that they're doing the right thing because they don't live in these urban settings but instagram becomes the conduit to have those dialogues and that's how this community was initially starting to build from issue one was that kind of like-mindedness of like, you can be in Boise, Idaho, take a picture of your Negroni on your front porch with your Crocs on. Yeah. <laughs> text it to me. I mean, email it, DM to me. I repost it because how cool is that? And then all of a sudden, you're, he's part of the community. And then, and this is literally true, that guy down the road said, well, if I wanted to get a Harris Tweed, where would I get that? And how would I get that? Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. There you go. There's the real cultivation there. So you get a cosign from the king of all fashion and retail who tells you, who basically tells you you're doing the right thing. How, how did that happen? I'm a huge Ralph Lauren fan, as I think many of us who navigate this kind of men's space yeah. are. Like he's such an inspiration, such a maverick, created such an epic brand that was so specific and niche. And I think that's what its success was. So Ralph was always an inspiration. I photographed his watch for the watch book, which mm-hmm. was this Cartier on a gold bracelet. And he, e- I email, I emailed him an interview. Yeah. And, uh, it was a beautiful touching story about his father. thought it was great. So we're moving on to the car book. I got in touch with his people to say, hey, I want to include Ralph in the car book, and I'd like to get an interview. I'm happy to email the interview. And in the meantime, I don't know how this happened, but he somehow got a hold of issue one. Somebody must have given it to him. He saw it. Yeah, because you didn't, like, send it to him. I did not send it. I just think, yeah, that was a bit sticky for me to do that. Like, of course, I, I... 
and it was it worked out in the best because he just found it on his own. Yeah. And then I had a friend who was kind of working internally and he texted me. He's like, Ralph Lauren just walked into the design meeting with your magazine, threw it on the table, and I'm gonna paraphrase, basically said, This is the this is the most Ralph Lauren thing out there. Like, do you people know what this is? And it basically was like a kindergarten class of him showing each page. And when when I was told that, I was so intensely flattered, like to have, you know, that blessing. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yes, we're doing the right thing. We're not alone. People like this stuff, you know? And then he called me into a meeting. He's like, well, I think it probably went something like this. Like, oh, the watch book guy and the car book guy is the William Brown guy. Yeah. Have him come in for an interview. Yeah. And uh, it was just sort of the beginning of summer, I think. I think so. Yeah. And, um, we sat in his office for an hour and a half and just chit chatted. And it was just so inspiring and so great. You know, of course we talked about the car and then talked about how you build a brand. And he said to me, well, I don't understand what, why did you do this magazine? I said, I don't know. It wasn't out there. I was kind of longing for it and I just decided to do it. And he looked at me and he goes, is your name Ralph? And I was like, oh my God, that's the most flattering thing. I'm like, I just was like, that is, I could never compare myself to that level. But at that moment, I was just like, God, that is, that's so great. Yeah. And then um, the woman that introduced us, Carter, she basically was, got so bored with us chit-chatting. She was like, you know, I got a train to catch. Yeah. Could we wrap this up? And I was like, I don't want it to end. That's, I mean, that's huge. And I think that just goes to show you how many people want you to succeed and I'm, which you already are, but like they, they love you and they want to support you through this. I mean, and when someone like, geez, like, you know, one of the godfathers of modern American culture is so inspired by what you're doing is telling other, you know, telling his staff that like, why aren't we making this? Right. And I said to him very clearly, you know, you and what you did and how you pioneered the conversation about this brand yeah, with, you know, beautiful lookbooks and incredible imagery and creating lifestyle. That was the inspiration for me as a young photographer. Right. And it's kind of this aspiring, like aspiring to this lifestyle. Ralph was the benchmark. Ralph Lauren was the benchmark for that. So to have it kind of come full circle was, it was very special. Yeah. So Yolanda, what's happening next with you guys? Because you've had, you, because of the growth, you've had to change your distribution slightly, right? You're not just mailing things out of your house anymore, are you? No, no, that was, that was the first issue. And I said to Matt, if we don't figure it out, there won't be another issue because I can't do this ever, ever again. Yeah. Or, or the marriage was going to abruptly end. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really rough. I mean, we were literally on our Christmas vacation. We were in LA. We had issues shipped to the Sunset Tower. We borrowed like our friend Dewey's, um, like a copy machine, copy machine. So we could, we could scanner print, printer. Um, yeah. So we could print labels out. So I didn't have to handwrite them. And I was just sitting on my ass, like for hours looking out at the beautiful sunshine, like it's stuck inside a hotel, sending out issues. I was really, really grumpy. <laughs> so we found it. We found a printer who actually would 
do the um, the shipping and the fulfillment. All, yeah, the yeah, fulfillment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, I don't even know words like that. That's like how fraud squad I am. <laughs> right, fulfillment, and um, and so they handle they handle that. It's still like. I think we're still figuring out like the most perfect solution. Yeah, there's it's some not, sticky. There's it's still not some seamless. Sticky you know, it's like I have all these caveats on our site where it's like international subscribers. It will take six to eight weeks to get there because like we we just you know it's either like you pay eight dollars for shipping or you pay forty dollars for shipping. And yeah, I don't I don't want to yeah, charge that, people forty dollars on a twenty dollar magazine. Like that's just crazy. Yeah, so, I mean, and we live in this Amazon world, right? Where everyone's like, "That's I I want it tomorrow," and it's like, "Well, that's going to be a hundred bucks." But but <laughs> yeah. I do think in a way, like <clears throat> the things that are sort of like our naivete and our like are the the things that are the biggest challenges have somehow become things that have been become part of the narrative. It's like, all right, well, it takes forever to get the magazine. Once they get it, they're so happy they got it. They Instagram it because it's like it's like this finally. prized possession. <laughs> like it's finally here. Um, and and the- then we've had so many magazines just destroyed and people send me a picture of destroyed magazine. And I just immediately run to the post office and send another one. Oh. You know, I, I just think, you know, we've been customer service. That one, distrib- one distribution center that we had, like my personal phone number was on the con- connected to the billing. Oh. No, no, no. It was, it, I, I think it was yeah. also just Instagram on your Instagram. No, no, no. It, because my American Express card oh, was right, linked right, right, to right, the, right. so they had my phone number. And all of a sudden people would, um, my phone would ring. I pick it up and say, uh, is this some... WM Brown customer service. And I was like, uh, this is Matt. And they'd be like, Oh my God. Oh, I'm so sorry. I said, no, no, no. Just tell me what's going on. We'll figure it out. And say, like, well, you know, this, that, and I was like, okay, I got you. Just text me or make sure I have your right address. And, and they're like, thank you so much. I love the magazine. Click. Oh God. <laughs> but I love that. I love the engagement directly with the reader. Like we, you know, we grew up you know, in the magazine world, there was always this kind of ivory tower of like, you don't know who the editor in chief is. There's no access to that. Yeah. You know, I think I, listen, I benefit more from criticism than praise. Um, Yolanda's very good at that. Um, the, being, what, the criticism uh, Putting part? the critical eye on stuff, I which is what more from praise. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> We're a perfect languages. balance. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, we just get better with that honest dialogue and I want people to kind of tell us what they want to see more of, what would, you know, what is successful, what isn't. And, um, I like the, I like the direct dialogue. I think connect those connections are pretty much why we're many reasons why we're doing it. Right. That's huge. Well, both of you, thank you. Thank you so much. I know you got stuff. Thank you. Thank you. But thanks. Always fun. So fun. We should do this like once a week. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We'll we'll make it a a recurring thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. We'll see ya. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Editing by Brendan Finn. We're produced by Blamo Media. Follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast and leave a review for us on your favorite podcast app. Want even more Blamo? Head over to patreon.com forward slash Blamo to join the Blam fam and get access to additional interviews like with Sid Mashburn and Will Welch and a community Slack. We also have special events and more. Right now, we've been doing tons of virtual happy hours on Zoom, and we have a bunch of new things in store for you. 
But best of all, you're supporting the show. So try it. It feels good. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.